Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Boy, it was good to see the Avalanche back on the ice, wasn't it? May not have been the result that we wanted, but at least we got to see the boys skate around a little bit. Hopefully start to get back on the right track. It had been 12 long days since we saw them play last. That's like off-season type numbers. Oh, it was miserable. And even though they didn't score a single goal for us on Sunday night, at least we got to see them back out on the ice. That's the most important thing, especially in this big series with the Vegas Golden Knights. Also, hopefully everybody had a very nice Valentine's Day on Sunday evening, regardless of the avalanche loss or not. Hopefully you all had a nice day to spend with your significant others. And if you're single at this point in time, hey, you know what? Hopefully you treated yourself as well. No reason not to celebrate you on any day of the week. So hopefully you had a nice Sunday and you also got a chance to enjoy President's Day, whether or not you were at work or you got to take another day off. Welcome to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano welcoming you into the show. We got a lot to talk about here today, of course, a lot going on with COVID protocols. We'll take a look back to the game on Sunday night against the Vegas Golden Knights. We're also going to chat with Peter Baugh from The Athletic, the Avalanche beat writer, and hear his thoughts about the team so far this season, and also see how much he's looking ahead to the game on Saturday at Lake Tahoe. That's going to be a fun one for everybody. You know, normally we start off the show with the game recap, but uh, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to talk about the NHL's COVID protocols and everything going on on that front. They have changed again, of course. Biggest questions have to go back to the last week when the Avalanche COVID-19 list came out. The initial one anyway, that had Landeskog, Jost, and then eventually Sam Girard on the list. How did this happen? We know everything was going well with the team, and then you find out Minnesota had a couple of issues. That's probably what led to the issues with the Avalanche. Gotta ask yourself, why? Oh, why was Minnesota even allowed to play? These protocols are in place for that exact reason, to make sure that these outbreaks don't happen. And when you find out that there's somebody in close contact, whether or not they've tested positive, you'd figure they were going to err on the side of caution and get that team off the ice. They did eventually. It was probably a little bit too late because it cost them two teams in the meantime. But you got to ask yourself why they were allowed to play. Vegas also. Remember Vegas had the issue against Anaheim. Not but a few days later. When Tomas Nosek was deemed a close contact, he is still the only Golden Knight on the COVID list. But their games continued also, and it, it makes you wonder how far this continues to spread, especially in this Western Division, which has had seemingly the biggest problems collectively. Teams over on the East Coast, we know with the Devils, and all the teams over there have had more players test positive or be a close contact. So it's been a bigger issue for an individual team over on the East Coast. But out here in the West, it seems like it's affecting more teams than anything. And there's shutdowns left and right. And you know they try to err on the side of caution with finding out if a player is in close contact. Get him off the ice. That's great. But he has now contacted all of his teammates and his coaches. And that's how this is spreading. Why were they allowed to play? I'm not sure we're ever going to get an answer on that. But this thing is obviously a major concern. Are they going to make it to the end of the season? Yes, I do think they're going to make it to the end of the season. There's going to be major bumps along the way. Every league has had to deal with it. 
yes, it's a matter of dealing with the virus as opposed to just shutting everything down and saying, well, we got to wait for it all to go away. Probably not going to happen. Is it best to have all these guys out there skating around against each other right now? I'm not the judge of that. You can debate it amongst yourselves. But what we do know is the league will continue and they're going to have to keep dealing with these issues if they're not going to pull teams from the ice when positive tests or close contacts are determined going forward. And that's what's going to lead to these 12, 14-day periods of the team not playing. And it's going to make it much more difficult for those teams to try to win this whole thing. Does it put a taint on the season? Look, I've got my views about tainting seasons and shifting rules and all that stuff. In the grand scope of things, everybody's playing under the same rules. It's not going to affect every team equally, right? It all depends on how you handle the spread of this virus. But everybody knows the rules going in. Everybody knows the protocols. And you've got to deal with them as you go along. And no, I don't think it taints who wins the cup. I don't think it tainted who won it last year either. Those were the set of rules that were in play for that season. That's what you got to deal with. Whoever wins it, after all this mess and having to deal with all these setbacks, they probably deserve it. You deserve it for dealing with it the best. And that's where we are right now. Hopefully we don't ever have to deal with this again in the future. And that's all I have to say about that. With the Avalanche specifically, they had three on the COVID list. That number has jumped to four. We find out on Monday, Hunter Miska was deemed a close contact, and he has been placed on the Avalanche COVID-19 list. Of course, he was not in uniform against Vegas on Monday, and now we know why. That he had been deemed a close contact. That's why Adam Werner got to suit up there for his first potential NHL action. Obviously didn't see the ice. Philip Grubauer handled the duties there, and he handled them quite nicely in the one game back. But the issues for the Avalanche, we're hoping they are contained. Of course, going forward this week, we know the original three on the COVID list, Landeskog, Jost, and Gerard, are all expected to be off the COVID list by the middle of this week, which is great news because they'll all get to play on Saturday when the two teams take off for Lake Tahoe. That's a big deal. That is a showcase event. You want to be ready to go. And to be quite honest, it sucks that these are the bumps that you're going to have to deal with. But it's just the nature of the beast right now. Wish we could have all been in attendance for that game in Lake Tahoe this week. But the good news is, and I think I'm pretty safe in making this prediction. While we're having to deal with it these two seasons, we know that in the future... These events are going to come back again, and we're going to get our chance. So if we have to miss one or two, I'm thinking we're going to be okay with that. In the grand scheme of things, not that big a deal, right? As far as attendance is concerned, going forward, we'll get our chance, and we'll be back in the stands. Definitely going to happen. So the good news on the COVID front for Colorado, three guys coming off the list, hopefully by midweek. The bad news is Hunter Miska is the one player that has been added to the list, and hopefully he's the last one. And let's not ever have to talk about this ever again when it comes to this team. So best wishes to Hunter. Hopefully he's feeling okay. And if not, we wish you a speedy recovery. We'll see you back out there hopefully sooner rather than later. In the meantime, Philip Grubauer took the reins, and he was in between the pipes on Valentine's Day night, taking on the Vegas Golden Knights in the only game that we will be recapping on the show this week because there was only one play as the Avalanche took on the tallest team in the National Hockey League, the six foot two average height Vegas Golden Knights. Couple of milestones in this one for the team. Brandon Saad played in his 600th career game. Valerie Nachushkin 
played in his 300th. Congratulations to both of them. Almost a thousand games between the two of them there, right at that 900 mark. Congratulations to them. One streak that did come to an end, of course, Sam Girard being on that COVID list. He had played in 231 consecutive games, which was the second longest in the history of all Colorado Avalanche defensemen. Martin Skula, by the way, the record holder there with 285 in a row. That streak is now over as Gerard was out being on the COVID list. He did what he could, but, you know, once he comes back, we'll see if he can start up a new one and even break that streak going forward. So let's go ahead and take a look at that game against Vegas. It is the Clash of the Titans over there in the West between Colorado and Vegas. Started out very, very rusty. I think we all saw it early on couple of penalties that the Avalanche took. The too-many-men penalty. Now, <laughs> let me go off on a tangent real quick. Obviously, a lot of you know and saw by pausing your TVs or seeing screenshots on the social medias that there were 12 men on the ice during that call. There were six in gold and six in white. I'm not arguing here that it was not a penalty against Colorado. They had six men. They should have been penalized. The issue is, why weren't the six on the other side penalized. And this is where I think that the rules need to be expanded a little bit for replay challenges. I consider myself mostly a purist. Mostly. I love progress. I like to see what new things can happen with the league. There are some things that I think need to stay the same. This is one of those things I need to see progress. You should be able to challenge whatever you want. This, for me, goes for every single sport. You should be able to challenge whatever you want. Limit the number of challenges. We don't need to be sitting here for four hours trying to figure out little ticky-tack calls or borderline calls. Open it up, let them challenge whatever they want, but just limit it. In the NHL, maybe you get two for the entire game that you can challenge whatever you want. Same penalty in place. You're wrong. You lose your timeout. And maybe you go shorthanded, just like we do now if you challenge offside on a goal. But plays like that need to be challengeable, especially ones that are black and white rules. The ones that are, did it happen or did it not happen? Judgment calls? Very, very difficult to challenge. We saw it in the National Football League, albeit it probably wasn't adjudicated all that well, but it's very hard to challenge a judgment call like a pass interference or a holding or things like that. You can go back and look at video and make a determination. Yeah, it probably was, but when it's borderline, that's going to be a little bit more difficult to stomach. Maybe like a slash. Did it actually come across the player's wrists? Did the stick actually make contact? Things like that. Those are going to be a little bit tougher to challenge. But in the case of were there six guys on the ice or were there not, that needs to be challengeable. I mean, come on. Especially because it looked like they were saying the two guys that were going off the ice were not in that quote-unquote buffer zone or grace area before getting off the ice to make a change. Well, okay, all six Vegas players were clearly on the opposite side of the ice away from the bench. There were a couple guys on the bench side of the ice, but they were certainly closer to center ice or closer to the middle of the ice than they were to their bench. That's a penalty. They're all wearing gold. You have no excuse to miss that. If they were wearing the chrome domes they wore the other night against Anaheim, I'd imagine it would have even been more obvious. But in this case, the call didn't go. That play needs to be challengeable, and it should have been 4-on-4. Four four. The bright side about it all is they didn't score. Colorado was able to kill off that penalty. I'm going to step off my soapbox now, 
because I think that's enough of that. But then another penalty was taken when Connor Timmons was called for a high stick, and there was no debate about that. It absolutely was. So not a great start for the team. We knew they were going to be rusty being off for 12 days, but they were pretty good on the penalty kill. They weren't great. They were pretty good. I know penalty kills are kind of a black and white situation, right? If you killed it off, you did a good job. If you didn't, you need to be better. But there's still room for improvement if a team doesn't score, and we saw that. And I'm going to attribute that mostly to Rust, because we know they killed off 24 in a row before they had the long layoff and before they gave up a goal to Minnesota in that last game before the layoff. But still, I can critique where I see fit, and that's what I'm going to do. And you know why? And I've said it every week, because it's my show and I can do whatever I want. Fleury had a couple of saves that he had to make in that first period. Both teams had nine shots on goal, and both goalies stood tall. They went toe-to-toe in that first period, that's for sure. There wasn't a ton of threatening shots against Fleury. Nothing too aggressive from Colorado, I guess you could say. But it was an okay period. It was not great. Especially the first half of that period. It was not good. But they found a way to get back into the game, especially in that second period. Even though Max Pacioretty had an absolute fireball that went past Grubauer on the short side. As were caught on the long change there, which are, you know, some administrative things that are going to be worked out after you haven't played in 12 days. But Grubauer did the best he could. Of course, they asked him about it in the postgame presser. Did you see it? Were you screened or did they just beat you? And he said, it was a goal. Next question. I don't blame him. You've been off that long. That's kind of a tough one to question. But that was an absolute laser. I don't care if you did see it. He got beat by it. You tip your cap and you move on. Abs had a real good chance in front. Nachushkin was trying to center that one. But it kind of slipped off the edge of his stick. We saw a lot of that. A lot of players fanned on shots or passes in the game. Maybe it was because of a layoff. Vegas was on the back end of a back-to-back, having played the night before. They fanned on a lot of shots, and that's probably why they were only able to score once in the entire game. Nate McKinnon, another streak that was able to be kept alive. He got some shots on goal. He had four in the game, so that streak continues. Avs, one thing they weren't able to do was muster up some special teams offensively in that game. Only one power play throughout the whole night, and that was after that holding call on Sheldon Dries when Alec Martinez had to go to the box, but... This is another one of those times where I see some some bad habits, and I, it's tough to call them bad habits, but they, they kind of are, that we saw last season and the season before, and that's being way too selective with shots. You gotta shoot the puck. Wayne Gretzky, quote him. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Team trying to get a little bit too cute. They want that extra pass and get the helper. They work it around a little bit too much and sometimes pass up a shot opportunity that they didn't think was a good enough chance Looking for a better one, and that better one just never comes. A lot of that in this game. I'm going to ask Peter Baugh about it later when we talk to him about it, if this is going to be a concern moving forward. It was only one game, but it's all we got to talk about, and I do the show once a week, so you're going to have to deal with it for today. But that power play was very short-lived, because Connor Timmons, who did not have the game of his life the other night, was called for interference right at the blue line. And this is another one that really got the nation rolling. Are you kidding me with that call at the blue line? What's a guy supposed to do? First of all, all right, he peeked over his shoulder a little bit. But he was just standing there. He wasn't even moving. If he would have taken a step and a half forward to get out of the way, he would have been offside. You're trained to stop before entering the zone illegally. I'm sure that was part of it, why he stopped there. And of course you're going to try to set a screen a little bit. Those little rub routes, as they would call them in football. He didn't make it look obvious. He was just standing there. Guy ran into him. Timmons gets the interference call. Just a rough night for Connor. He'll be all right going forward. We, we see the progression of him as the season goes along. He's getting better. He had one bad night. He hadn't played in two weeks. Leave him alone. Defense had to work real hard 
during that back half of the second period looked like they were getting a little tired outworked a little bit by Vegas but they stood tall and Grubauer was right there especially in that flurry at the end of the period in front of the net when Mark Stone had just a brilliant pass and these are passes that captains make and now you know why he wears that C when he was looking for Stevenson on that back door and it just kind of bounced up over his stick I don't think he was ready for it but had he caught it it was two nothing it was two nothing no questions asked if he catches that pass. So Abs catch a break. They go to the third down, one nothing. Controlled the shots in the period, 11-9. Hit very well in the game the other night. 16 hits in that second period for the Avalanche. So when you look at their first two periods, they had 28 hits through the first two frames. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You don't see them do that a ton. So it's good to see the physicality coming back. Got to put every part of the game back together, and they'll be fine coming up here throughout the week against Vegas. So in the third period, team looked like they woke up. Had a lot of decent chances. Nothing too threatening. But, you know, Jacob McDonald, who, by the way, had a great game the other night, had that one that ticked off a flurry and then hit the post and went wide. Probably the best scoring chance of the game for the team. Weren't really able to get anything great going offensively, but it was good offensively. So they were shaking that rust off in that third period. Defense took a step backward in that third period. They were getting worked by the Knights, which in a third period after a back-to-back shouldn't happen when the team you're playing had played the night before. But still, Grubauer, standing on his head, carried the team on his back the other night, in my opinion. And that's why he gets my first star of the week, which is also of the game. (laughs) From an avalanche standpoint, of course. Marc-Andre Fleury was the first star of the game. But for Gru, 23 out of 24 in the save department. My other two stars of the game, number two, I'm giving it to Nathan McKinnon, who had four shots on goal. He woke up a little bit too, finally got the wheels turning in that second period, and then got the afterburners going in that third, just wasn't able to muster anything up that was too threatening to flurry. And then our third star of the game, I'm giving it to Jacob McDonald. A couple shots on goal for the kid, one that didn't count because it hit the post, that doesn't count as a shot on goal. It actually hit the goaltender, so actually now that I think of it, it did count as one of his shots on goal before it hit the post. But it was a great effort for him throughout that game and another kid who's getting a chance to show what he can do with a lot of the other players out if there is an advantage for this club that nobody else has right now it's the amount of different players that have seen the ice for periods of time that the next time they get called back up and they're needed for service they're gonna be ready to go and that's an advantage especially when it comes to this west division that seems to be very top heavy But having a lot of players be able to come up and backfill and get some ice time and get some more NHL experience, the better the Avalanche are going to be off, not just for this season, but for next season and the season after that. Game could have been a lot worse than it was. Avs really benefited from Vegas' lack of execution, which could again be evidence of the second game of a back-to-back. But whatever it took to keep that puck out of the net, hey, you know, you take what the other team gives you. And they certainly were able to do that. Penalty kill looked good. They killed off all three in the game. Again, power play was 0 for 1. Hits in the game were 34-33 Vegas. Very physical game between these two teams. Shots 30-24 in favor of Colorado. And again, Avs won 29 out of 51 faceoffs in the game. You like to see that. So overall, you know, you can't grade the offense very well in a game like that because they didn't score. They had a few opportunities, nothing great. Give credit to the defense where it was due, but this was all about Phil Grubauer again. And further proving my point that he's the key to this team winning the Stanley Cup. You can give the praise to the Calder Trophy winner and the Hart Trophy winner, runner-up as the season goes along. Remember, no Kale in this game on Sunday night. 
he was out with the upper body injury. So the big names are going to get the praise. But you still got to get it done defensively on the ice. You got to have a netminder to get it done. And Grubauer is getting better as this season goes along. You love to see it. So we'll see how he does when the team heads out to Lake Tahoe over the weekend and for the other couple of games they have against Vegas this week. You're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano, and joining me now, the Colorado Avalanche beat reporter from The Athletic, Peter Baugh is here. Peter, thanks so much for joining us, and I sincerely hope you're surviving the new ice age that's taken over the middle part of the United States. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And yes, it is it's a little chilly, but today's a little warmer, so we I'm thankful for that, I guess. All right. Well, there's a good positive note. Things starting to warm up there in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's focus in on the team here a little bit. I, I want to start with, you know, this is obviously a much different season, even than last year's abbreviated end uh, to the year. How do you think that Joe Sackick and Jared Bednar have managed this roster with all the issues that they've had to deal with so far this season? Yeah, I think that, I mean, for the most part, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's out of their control and the stuff that they have been able to control, I think they've done a, a solid job with. I mean, I think there's, there's games you can nitpick here and there, but I think overall, like the team is, has played pretty well um, considering all the, all the people who are out. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's been overall a pretty positive, a positive showing and certainly room to improve on, but, but not a, not bad at all, I would say. Yeah, it, it seems like every day something new pops up. We found out, too, just on Monday that Hunter Miska is now added to the COVID list. We'll talk a little bit more about, about the list as we continue on here. But from a player standpoint, not just the ones who have had to deal with the virus either directly or indirectly, but how has the team as a whole been able to respond when it feels like you know every week or so a, a new teammate ends up on the list and they might have a new line mate? Yeah, well, so it's interesting because this is they've only played one game since this. Um, I don't know if you want to call it. I don't know if it would qualify as an outbreak, but since there were three people put on the the COVID list before Miska. So like it's it's really they've only had one opportunity to kind of show it after the um, the COVID stoppage. But they played decently last night, I thought. And then um, but what they have had to show is like how to deal with injuries. There have been plenty of times where there have been been guys who've sat out um for various ailments and and i think that for the most part they've handled it okay i mean obviously there's like like i said there have been games where they haven't looked the sharpest and whatnot but i think overall like the the team is is playing pretty well all things considered i'm not sure how many practices that they've allowed the media to go into but if you have gone to practice anytime between the first covid list uh announcement for the team and today what is the mood like out in practices when they realize they're going to have to jumble some things up? Are they adapting rather quickly or is it taking a little bit uh, for them to get to get it all situated? So we have not been allowed to go to any practices. Um, I think that it's definitely one of those things where uh, they were certainly excited to be back on the ice. I mean, Pierre Edward Belmar kind of talked about it. It felt like Christmas morning when he went back on the ice. So I think they know there's going to be shuffling. Um, and they know there's there's going to be challenges, but I think they're probably happy to be out there. But no, I've not been able to see practice since the the stoppage because they were off, and then they they closed practice to to reporters the the days they were back in Colorado. Wow, so there's a lot of reporting that you have to do kind of from the way outside. That's got to be kind yeah. of an adjustment on your end too, right? Yeah, and I mean that's kind of been the the nature of this season. With um, obviously you can't go into the locker room and talk to people in as intimate a setting 
Um, so it's, it's, there've been some adjustments, but I think that the whole country's kind of had to adjust to different things this year. Case in point, the interview we're conducting right now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we take a look at the team throughout the entire season so far. You wrote a little, a bit about it on Monday, grading the team's performance in the one game against Vegas the other day. What about for the entire season so far? How do you grade what the club has been able to do uh, over the course of their 12 games? Um, I think probably around a, a B or so. I mean, I think a lot of teams would be really happy with where the Avalanche are right now. I think that the Avalanche see themselves and with good reason as, as Stanley Cup contenders, and they have a team that that is built to win now. So I think that they want um, – that that's the standard they're holding themselves to, and they haven't always looked like that. But I think you really started – before the pause, you really started kind of to see them get going a little bit where they, they rattled off a few wins in a row – um, they beat, um, they, they swept San Jose and then had taken two of three from the wild and the other, they still got a point in. Um, so you kind of started to see them click a little bit. And now after this pause, obviously, I, I don't think you can really fault them too much for last night. And I thought they actually played decently well, um, in the loss to Vegas, but I think that they're probably, yeah, I'd say around a B. All right. That's fair enough. I'm, I'm usually the pessimistic guy and I always rank it a lot lower, but I have settled down this season as I've told the listeners so far that I've needed to calm down and take everything into consideration, not just be upset that they weren't able to score a goal. You talked about how uh, the game against Vegas obviously is not cause to be concerned because of how many players were missing. And it's really hard to be optimistic in a game where you don't score at all for a team that's able to light the lamp regularly. Did you see anything from the game the other night that led you to believe, okay, maybe there is a cause for concern in this area or this area? I think when you're coming off a pause as long as this one was, there's going to be some natural, I guess, Bednar talked about how the execution was just the last little 10% wasn't there. So I think that you saw that at points where, where players maybe weren't shooting the puck as readily as they should. He wanted the game, he wanted them to simplify their game a little more because his philosophy is kind of when you when you aren't executing at your highest level, simplify, get pucks on net, and kind of go from there. Um, so he thought the Avalanche at times were maybe making an extra pass instead of shooting when they needed to, and and maybe getting a rebound um, and stuff like that. But I think overall, I mean, I think it's hard to draw too much off of a game in which you haven't played in nearly two weeks. You're missing one of your best offensive playmakers in Kale McCarr, who is out, you're missing a top line winger and your captain, you're missing um, two other forwards who, who've been in the lineup when they're healthy, as well as another valuable offensive defenseman in, in Samuel Gerard. So I, I think that, I mean, if this is still happening in three weeks, then maybe there's, there's cause for concern, but based off one, game, I, I don't think it's any reason to, to uh, panic. I will say, I do agree with your point about, you and Jared, I guess, about shooting the puck and getting it on net. This was an issue from my standpoint from last year and from the year before that there were a lot of times where they were just trying to get too cute, trying to be too unselfish. Sometimes you do have to just let it rip and see what happens because, as my broadcast partner would say, good things happen when you crash the net, so you got to get the puck in there. Do you think they could revert back to that bad habit, or do you think this may just be a one-time deal? Well, I don't even know if I'd necessarily call it a, a bad habit. I think sometimes it looks too cute to us, but I think the plays sometimes make sense that they're trying to run. And I think that I think that the way I, I think the way Bender put it made sense to me, which was was kind of that 
when you're not executing. So when the ads are firing on all cylinders, then then they're connecting those passes. They're the two cute plays end up being really cool and they look good and they're scoring. <laughs> um, when when they're not executing, when they need that last little boost, I think that's when you've kind of got to revert back to to just getting simplifying, trying to put the puck on the net, get some rebounds, um, and go from there. That was me trying to suppress my pessimism, but I still found a way to get it out. But all right, I feel better about that. Thank you. Let's look ahead to the weekend. Obviously, the big event's going to come up on Saturday when the Avalanche technically play host to the Vegas Golden Knights out in Tahoe. My first question to you is, do you get to make the trip? That's the most important thing. I am making the trip. I'm pretty excited. It should be fun. Have you ever been to Lake Tahoe? I have not. So this will be a first. I'm excited. Now, we look back at the last two times the Avalanche played in outdoor games. They have not fared all that well. They lost both of them by a pair of goals. And shockingly, I was looking up the exact dates when they played the last two. I still can't believe that that game against the Kings at Falcon Stadium was only a year ago. It feels like it was a decade ago. But going into the outdoor game and and seeing you know, Gabriel Landeskog talk about it on a call the other day, What's the mood of the team going into a game and being able to play in this special showcase? Yeah, I think they're excited. I think it's a cool opportunity. And and I think the Tahoe game, I mean, all the outdoor games are, are kind of, the league really wants to showcase some of the best teams in the league. So there's a sense of pride, I guess, in, in being selected and and being seen as one of those better teams. So I think the the players are pretty, pretty excited for it. Um, I, I think that it's going to be a really scenic environment. And I think that's going to offer... I guess some cool moments for them just to even just take it all in. Um, I think that, but at the end of the day, once puck drops, I think that like there's two points on the line and they're going to have to, they're going to have to try and win a game. So I don't think it's going to really, when the game starts, there might be some weird differences with like the ice surfaces and stuff. But I think that when the game starts, it's going to be pretty, they're, they're going to be, I guess, mostly focused on that rather than, wow, we're in a really cool place. A couple of firsts too, for them uh, coming up in that game. First of all, they get to play outside, outside of the state of Colorado. That's that's going to be a first for them. And the yeah. other one is it's actually going to be a division game, so there's going to be a lot more on the line. Yeah, and a division game against a really good Vegas team. And I'm sure they won't be tired of each other by then. <laughs> <laughs> At least they'll have a week to, not a week, but almost a week, five days to cool off between Tuesday and Saturday. Yeah, this certainly isn't going to be a Coyotes Blues situation. No, no. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I mean, they do have four scheduled in a row right now. That is true, and it, it actually it'll be the, the first time that the Avalanche do play a team four times in a row outside of the postseason, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. Peter Ball from The Athletic, go check him out, read all of his updates. They keep me informed, I, I know that much, so uh, make sure you go check him out. Peter, thanks so much uh, for stopping by and chatting about the team, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Again, our thanks to Peter Ball from The Athletic for taking some time out and chatting with us about the team. Don't forget to head over to The Athletic and check out all of his pieces on the Colorado Avalanche. And once again, you're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Eric underscore Pesolano. You can follow the podcast at Believe in Avs on Twitter. That's at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. Let us know your thoughts about the team going forward. We're going to have some polls for you to vote on as well. We'll share the results on the air in subsequent weeks. All right. Well, usually at this point, we move on to know your foe and talk about the Avs opponent coming up. Well, it's the same one as last week. It's the Vegas Golden Knights, of course. So 
Not a ton to preview with them going forward. You already know what's going on with the Vegas Golden Knights. So here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to talk about Lake Tahoe and playing in an outdoor game. Of course, for the Avalanche, this will be their third outdoor game in franchise history. The last two coming in 2016 and 2020. Talked about it with Peter Baugh. Can't believe that that game at Falcon Stadium at the Air Force Academy was only a year ago. Feels like it was a decade. My goodness, how time has not quite flown by all while flying by at the exact same time. But third outdoor game for the Avalanche. First time they will play in one outside of the state of Colorado. But they're the home team again. They're the designated home team against the Vegas Golden Knights who will be playing their first ever outdoor game in franchise history. Of course, this will be played in Lake Tahoe on, I believe it's the 18th green at the Edgewood Tahoe Resort on the southern shore of Lake Tahoe in State Line, Nevada. So it's going to be on the Nevada side, not the California side of Lake Tahoe. It's going to be a spectacle. They built the rink right on that golf course, and two games, of course, over the weekend will be played there. Golden Knights and Avs on Saturday, and then on Sunday, the Boston Bruins and Philadelphia Flyers will take to the ice at Lake Tahoe. Both games will be at 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Saturday and Sunday. Of course, you're going to want to see the Avs game on Saturday, but if you want to see the Bruins and Flyers on Sunday, both games will be at 1 p.m. Mountain Time over the weekend. So cannot wait to see that spectacle on television, first of all. I've always been a huge fan of these outdoor games. They've played 30 of them since 2003. But of course, these two are going to be a lot different. No fans in the stands, which is going to be odd after the second largest crowd in NHL history watched the Stars and Predators play at Cotton Bowl Stadium at the Winter Classic in 2020 on New Year's Day. But of course, just the fact that they're going to stage an outdoor game again is another one of those small signs that we're getting back. We are getting back to where we need to be. We are nowhere near where we need to be, but we're getting back. The road is beginning to be paved, especially in the NHL. Great to see that they're going to host these games. So looking forward to that over the weekend. When you look at the Avalanche schedule overall, as they take on Vegas this week, of course they'll play the game Tuesday night this week. And then going forward, the two teams will meet back at Ball Arena on Monday night to wrap up the week. And actually, that brings about an announcement for our show moving forward. Normally, the show debuts every Tuesday here on the Believe Podcast Network. Well, starting on February 24th, the show will run on Wednesdays. It'll debut on Wednesdays whenever the Avalanche play a game on Monday. Behind the scenes... I'm not going to hide anything from you. This is how it works. I usually record these shows on Monday, and they debut on Tuesday. I don't want to record a brand new show for you on a Monday evening before a game is played, and then Tuesday it comes out, and I've missed everything from one game. That's probably not the smartest way to do things. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait for the game to be done on Monday night. We'll record the show on Tuesday for you, get it going on Wednesday. There's a bit of a behind-the-scenes for you on how we run things over here at the Believe in Avalanche podcast. So hopefully you're cool with that. I appreciate your patience, but it just makes sense going forward. So whenever the Avs have a game on Monday, the show will debut on Wednesday. If they play on Sunday or Saturday to wrap up the week, we'll do the show on Monday, and it will debut on Tuesday. So keep an eye out for that going forward. We'll post reminders for you on social media, at Believe in Avs, as the season progresses. 
as we get ready to wrap up here on this week's edition of the show, it's time to move on to On a Lighter Note. And this week, we put the spotlight on Jason Megna, who played in his first game this season with the Avalanche on Valentine's Day. You probably saw this on social media, but I'm going to bring it even more to light here. This is a kid who grew up in Highland Park, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. And did you see this? Grew up inside the house that was featured in the 1986 film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Remember when Cameron was trying to steal his dad's car and eventually they did and drove it around town and tried to run the miles back by putting the car in reverse in the garage and then ended up falling off the blocks and rolling off into the forest? That was Jason Magna's house growing up. Can you believe that? (laughs) And not only that, how about his father-in-law being Miracle on Ice goaltender Jim Craig? who was with the USA Olympic hockey team back in the 1980 Olympics, the team that, of course, everyone knows upset the Soviet Union en route to winning the gold medal that year. Jim Craig is his father-in-law. Isn't that something else? I saw that on social media and said, oh, this is going in on the show this week. I've got to bring that up. That is so wild. It's not one, but just two crazy occurrences in a guy's life. And that's how you know You're destined for greatness and being able to make it into the league like the National Hockey League. Jason Megna grew up in the Ferris Bueller's Day Off house. Not the one that Ferris lived in, the one that Cameron lived in. Still crazy. I think that house might even be more iconic than the one that Ferris lived in, where he created all those concoctions to fake like he was sick and needed to stay home from school that day. I don't know. What do you think? Let me know on Twitter. Which house did you think was more iconic in that movie? Ferris's house or Cameron's house? Your choice. Let me know. We'll talk about it on Twitter. Maybe I'll bring it up on the show next week. Who knows? That's going to do it for us on the show this week. We hope all of you enjoy the next three games coming up against the Vegas Golden Knights. First time ever, the Avalanche are going to play the same team four times in a row. It was supposed to happen against the Minnesota Wild last week, but of course, the COVID postponements said otherwise. Instead, it'll be the Vegas Golden Knights who will get that honor against Colorado. They'll play again in Vegas Tuesday night. And then, of course, they'll play Saturday at Lake Tahoe and then the following Monday back at Ball Arena. Same opponent, three times, three different venues. Ain't that something? Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. Put some poll questions up for you throughout the week. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Eric underscore Pesolano. Let me know your thoughts about the show this week. And we'll talk about the team as we go forward. Once again, you've been listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.